Hello and welcome to the podcast on energetic and spiritual embodiment in the physical dimension. I am your hashtag actually autistic host and curator of these episodes, Mars Musakia. Get ready for an in-depth dive into autism, the condition that puts some people out of this world. Coming up on Manifestations with Mars. a disclaimer. I am not a mental health professional and do not speak with the authority of one. Everything shared in this episode is from my personal experience as an autistic person, education and research, and professional experience working with autistic people. No part of this podcast is intended to act as medical treatment or advice and should not be taken as such. Please seek professional help from the appropriate professional. If you listen along and think, hey, this sounds like me, Maybe I'm autistic too. Please try and get an evaluation after doing more research to see if that's the right path to pursue. I do not recommend professionals who work or specialize in applied behavioral analysis for autism as there is overwhelming evidence these are abusive to autistic people. A specialist who can evaluate you for autism is your best bet and they can provide a treatment plan which usually consists of different therapies and this cannot be replaced by self-diagnosis as autism can look like many different and even conflicting disorders. While autism may be comorbid with these disorders in some people, it is not a one-size-fits-all generalization that can be made and each autistic person's life will be different from another autistic person's. Let's talk about autism, or rather, I'll speak and you listen. Autism, aka autism spectrum disorder, is a developmental disorder that impacts daily life. In addition to impacting the ability to communicate and interact in the world, autism affects the nervous system, creating a condition that only people with autism can truly understand. I can try to put it into so many words to describe what autism is and someone who isn't autistic won't understand at all. There always seems to be a missing connecting link from spoken, intended word, and actual interpretation in receipt of those words. Some sources break down autism into different classifications, but I think they're irrelevant since autism is a sort of umbrella term for developmental disorders when put into that framing. Autism has clear diagnostic criteria, which is why I recommend seeing a specialist for evaluation and diagnosis. A specialist will have more insight and experience than someone who learned about autism as part of their psychology classes in college. This was actually part of my problem when I spent most of my time at college as a psych major. The way autism was taught in learning materials from professionals who were qualified to teach and practice was from cis white male presentations of the condition. Because of this, autism is missed in a large portion of people who have it, whether it's attributed to someone being loud and inappropriate in public as a racist belief, or because people assigned female at birth and socialized as cis girls and women are taught from very early on to hide how they really feel for the sake of not being socially ostracized. I was in school for psych from 2013 to 2016, and in that time, misdiagnosed with a personality disorder after it was suspected that I had bipolar type 2. The real kicker is that I brought up to my first counselor in college very specific symptoms of autism, and this was disregarded after I was told it would be discussed in our next session. The thing I had brought up to her was alexithemia, which is the inability to recognize and define emotions, something that was very specifically associated with autism. While I was dealing with CPTSD too and didn't know this, 
Instead of receiving help for anything related to autism, I ended up on medical leave from school to go to an intensive outpatient program largely centered on DBT. I went into this program with the goal of getting help for my anxiety surrounding school so I could finish my degree and move on to grad school and finish the route to practicing psychology clinically. Suffice to say, that never happened. I ultimately dropped out of college a year and a half after I completed my program, never connecting that so much of my anxiety was rooted in my being autistic and flying under the radar. I asked how I could get accommodations and was told to do testing that caused thousands of dollars. That's not accessible for someone like me. And I did not need testing to get accommodations, which I found out way later on. So thank you, college, that I cannot name for fear of being sued. When I returned to school from the program the next semester, my major was changed. I changed it myself. Nobody else changed it for me. I had more than enough credits for a psych minor so that I could switch these gears, and I spent a year in my new major before I was so overwhelmed from being sexually assaulted by other students, mostly when I was under the influence of alcohol and or drugs to cope with social anxiety and trying to actually connect with others without losing my mind. I am not good at socializing. It is very stressful, and that is related to being autistic. Surprise, surprise. I was a heavy smoker at this time too, preferring at least a pack of menthol hundreds per day. Most days, visiting the gas station twice to get another pack. I took ADHD drugs recreationally twice and ended up sleeping fine after I got my papers done, and the friend who gave it to me laughed because apparently that wasn't normal. I did not know. I am so far removed from this time in my life that I'm amazed any of it actually happened and that I didn't see my masking with school was severely different from my time masking at my retail job that I worked to support myself in school. I didn't know that I was masking for most of my life, how I wasn't allowed to be myself because there's important repercussions that I'd suffer from if I was. I'll talk more about masking later, but all of this was a very long, expensive road to burnout, one I'm still trying to recover from nearly five years later. Another two years after leaving college was when I received my autism diagnosis after struggling to work and function away from school school and nearly losing my relationships over it. Thankfully, my diagnosis provided the answers I needed and a starting point for how I can actually help myself the right way without the shame and continued trauma from inappropriate medical treatment and intervention from everybody who missed my being autistic. I'm not going to cover all of the diagnostic criteria for autism, especially since people can start to think something applies to them when they learn the traits of it. This happens all the time with med students who believe they have the conditions they're learning about. It happens to psych students learning about different disorders and abnormal psychology. It happens on social media with things like faking disorders because the criteria is interpreted a certain, usually highly inappropriate and borderline offensive way. It's important to get a professional opinion and assessment because autism can look like different things. Someone who has social anxiety, for example, may improve with exposure therapy or CBT to change the way they think about things. Someone with autism may experience social anxiety as part of their autism, which can make things like exposure therapy or CBT less likely to be effective. Personally speaking, neither of those helped me. DBT was the only thing to make a difference, and I still refer to it and use skills learned a whole six years later. Autism can also be mistaken for or misinterpreted as ADHD, generalized anxiety, mood disorders like depression or bipolar, personality disorders, but specifically borderline or antisocial, schizophrenia, conduct disorder or oppositional defiance in children, PTSD, dissociative disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder and other anxiety conditions, amongst other health problems like headaches, migraines and seizures, digestive issues, along with others. Autism is a developmental disability that affects all areas of life. So someone can be autistic and have OCD, and those would be two different conditions that are treated as such. But there's also the other end of that, where an autistic person can have obsessive or compulsive tendencies with 
heavy use of rituals in routines, and they wouldn't have OCD because those are considered part of their autism. Honestly, a lot of the comorbidities are defined differently by different professionals, and there isn't consistency between evaluators, as much as there is with the criteria they're using to interpret the disorder. Meaning, the words are the same, but the observations and applications can vary due to anything from learning and professional bias from lack of exposure. This is another reason I recommend a specialist. Before I got the right diagnosis, I was treated and medicated for several disorders I didn't actually have but were experienced as a symptom or sign of autism. And I have 14 years of being in and out of mental health services, trying nearly a dozen medications that didn't work for long term before receiving the right diagnosis. This all contributes to complex trauma involving medical professionals, which I need to see to receive help from the very thing that made my life worse for so long. Autism, before it was known as a spectrum disorder, was also referred to as Asperger's syndrome in those considered to be high functioning. Asperger's was named by a dude who actively cooperated with the Nazi regime and can therefore be called a Nazi because this cooperation led to the intentional killing of disabled children. I am instantly cautious of anyone who identifies with the Asperger's label because it hasn't been a thing since the last DSM update in 2013 when autism spectrum disorder was introduced as a catch-all. This change in the DSM could have also contributed to my experiences as a psych student, but I also had to write a paper from the perspective of living on a planet populated by autistics only and what that society would be like. I reread this paper, one I wrote when I was 18 and literally just learned about autism in the class by reading a book based on someone's fictional interpretation of autism, which has been criticized by autistic people for painting an inaccurate portrait of the condition, and was actually shocked at what I had written. While some of it may have been applicable to my experience being autistic, it was full of stereotypical shit that had nothing to do with autism and gave a very limited understanding of what the disorder really is. Of course, I wouldn't recognize myself in that. Anyways, the removal of the Asperger's diagnosis means that other people's interpretations of autism are more skewed into a binary rather than the spectrum that it really is. Autism is a spectrum disorder because there isn't consistency in its manifestations, whether you're using that statement across the autistic population or the life experience for one autistic person doesn't make a difference. There's a myth in making autism a high or low functioning binary. Professionals who diagnose autism have either levels or severity of the lived autistic experience, which can help with insurance coding and getting treatment covered. Aside from it being used to determine the level of care one may need, there's a wide misinterpretation of autism based on the high-low labeling. There's this idea of the high-functioning autistic, one who works as an engineer or computer programmer, who can socialize at work but prefers not to, who doesn't miss a day of their professional life who made straight A's in college or were in the gifted program starting in their formative years, who has a clean home and great personal hygiene, and is largely unaffected by their autism other than the occasional faux pas, which is embarrassing yourself in a social situation, in case you, like I, didn't know the meaning of that until now. I guess admitting that would be considered a faux pas by some, but who cares? A low-functioning autistic is then seen as someone completely incapable and obviously disabled, who needs external help with every step of life from personal hygiene to feeding to being medicated to sleep, who are seen as burdens to their family and caregivers, who are mute and can't communicate at all, who are mentally a different age than their physical body is, 
and education isn't even a thought because so much of daily life is taking care of this person for their survival. These are two extremes, while totally plausible, and I'm sure there are people who meet the descriptions of either functioning level I just talked about, autism is not as clear-cut or defined as that, and functioning labels are obsolete because of it. I get that people like dichotomies, and the more severe of a difference there is, the easier it is to understand, but the world is not that black and white. The reality is, autism looks different for each autistic person at different times. I think this is why autism moms, you know, those mommy bloggers, and Facebook, or I guess now TikTok and other vain social media oversharers, who are neurotypical themselves but make a personality and community from their kids being autistic, have this belief that the full moon affects their autistic kids. I'm sure these are the same parents who are taking those children to ABA therapy and therefore abusing them, but I digress. I did what I could to research this phenomena without losing my mind, which was hard to do while reading these blogs and the absolute nonsense that's covered in them. Going into this topic, I already understood that the moon cycles affect humans and life on this planet as a whole. Even unliving things are influenced by the moon. I also understood that bodies have a circadian rhythm, and that this rhythm is sensitive and can be affected by the surrounding environment of the person or internal chemical and hormonal changes. And I know that the placebo effect is a thing, because belief is the basis of all energy work, and conviction is convincing. Somehow, all of these things got twisted into thinking that one's exhibition of autism is directly influenced by the moon. While the moon cycle can influence sleep and the releasing of hormones to help that, and autistic people are evidently chronically insomniac, it is both a stretch and a reach to say that it's a direct causation. I saw both sides of the coin, where the full moon helps some bloggers' kids, while other posts report that the week of the full moon completely throws them off balance, and the lack of sleep or change in sleep pattern can be what leaks into the rest of their functionality. As much as I try and have tried, I don't have a consistent sleep pattern, but I have more success with the ones that are centered around day sleeping allowing me to work throughout the night comfortably. This can also just be because it's quieter in general at night, and living in an apartment with something always happening takes too much away from my day. That's just to say there are too many factors involved, but people want answers and are inclined to make connections with what they understand. You can either say the mood affects everyone to various degrees, or it affects no one at all. But singling out the behavior of autistic people, and especially children, can instill beliefs that are harder to break away from because they think they're only good for one week out of every month, so why bother doing anything for the other three? Or for the opposite, you're teaching them to live three weeks in anticipation and dreading the week where everything falls apart. Where can you better provide support without communicating what you're doing in a way that can potentially cause long-term damage? I wish that's something these parents would consider. Another thing I saw with the full moon and autism is that parasites hatch with the full moon and that activity is why these kids can be more antsy. This belief that they're dirty, impure, unclean, on the outside and in. If you think your autistic kid is acting some way because of parasites, why aren't you getting them medical attention? Is it because these are the same people who use holistic methods, naturopaths, and anyone or anything else to avoid trained medical professionals? Is it because they're providing a homemade remedy for those parasites because mother knows best? I understand having a desperation to help your kid, or mostly yourself because it's less of a hassle for you that way, but there isn't a cure to autism, and doing anything short of accepting autism for what it is can cause major harm. Popular spiritualists think that you can do energy work or a magic ritual and autism will go away, or the experiences one has from being autistic are the result of a curse. This is not how it works, will never be how it works, 
and anyone saying that they can perform these services is fraudulent and a red flag should be raised immediately. There's no aligning of chakras that removes the autism from one's bodies, but putting someone through all of that conversion therapy can traumatize an autistic person into masking as someone they're not, either to stop the treatment or make it easier since fighting it obviously doesn't stop it either. To wrap up the full moon talk, I want to point out that in all of my research of googling this bullshit, I haven't come across any information on autism and eclipses. If the moon cycle were so important, wouldn't the two to four eclipses involving the moon that happen each year be some sort of super event in the autism world? Maybe the right autism moms will listen to this and report back. Please, I invite you to prove me wrong. My theory is that the chaos energy which influenced Lovecraft and his creation of creatures was actually emitted from autistic individuals at the height of each eclipse, where the ultimate celestial mask is formed. Your move, people. Going on with the supernatural abilities, two things that come up with the power of autism are savant syndrome and highly sensitive people. Savants are people with developmental disabilities who have above average talent and ability in a specific skill or set of them. Savant syndrome, although rare, can form at any age, even in adulthood. These skills can be with rhythm and vibration, like music and math, having perfect pitch or knowing how to solve complicated formulas almost instinctually, creative or the more mundane, like medicine and memory recall. I wouldn't call myself a savant, but my mom said one time that I have a photographic memory. If I learn someone's birthday, I'll remember it forever. And my memory recall is more aligned with dates and numbers than faces or voices, unless that face belongs to someone I've seen in a show or movie before, because then, for the most part, I'll name what else I've seen them in within five seconds of their first appearance if I'm able to recognize them. I'm also told I pick up on things easily. My man has visibly been shocked when I'm able to mimic something exactly or for a prolonged period, and I made my first album in the span of a few hours in a single night and published it all right after. Others also said I'm a skilled writer, or at least have when I was younger, and I had more popularity from writing when I was 12 on the internet than I have ever since. When I start a project, I like to do all parts of it myself, even if that means learning something new, which I'll do even if it delays the project because I know I can and it will get done. I attribute that to being endlessly hopeful that things work out in my favor and to my benefit, rather than any relation to being autistic. Savants, I guess in my head, are respected to some degree and are at least recognized on some level for what they do. Even saying that, I can't name any savants. And when I look up lists of them, I have no idea who they are or what they do. But I wouldn't know what most people are doing because I don't really care as long as it's not hurting anyone, including themselves. Highly sensitive people is something that aggravates me. I retweeted an article that was shared with me once I was wondering publicly about this topic. And the article was about how the traits of highly sensitive people are the exact same ones as autism, only said in different phrasing that says the exact same thing or puts the highly sensitive in a positive or lighter and more helpful frame and autistics in a harmful one. So this all started because one woman didn't like that her kid was showing signs of autism. So things were adjusted to make her feel better and started her career of researching this new thing that really is just characteristics of undiagnosed and untreated autism. While the child she based off of this is male, the HSP label is largely claimed by cis women who are proud to be women and lean into the stereotype of being emotional as women. Highly sensitive people are said to have a low threshold for sensory awareness and focus more on some over others, experience overstimulation easily, are sensitive to their environments to the point of being overwhelmed by it, are more sensitive to pain and 
human touch, may withdraw when not in an ideal environment, and either are affected by the energy and emotions of others or observes their environment differently. All of the things I just said are very obvious signs of autism, shown with the sensitivity an autistic person may have and the overstimulation that easily happens because of this. Like I said earlier in the episode, autism affects the nervous system. A fight-or-flight response being triggered via sensitivities is a common occurrence with autistic people. The coping strategies for highly sensitive people are the same ones that are provided for autistic people. It's not that more people are born with the phenomenon of being highly sensitive, it's that autistic people are giving birth to autistic children, and this happens exponentially because any birth rate, for the most part of history, has. Ignoring this and calling it something else is ableist and puts people at a disadvantage, mostly because it's not a disorder, and it can invalidate struggles that are present from a developmental disability like autism. There's also a strange thing happening with spiritual spaces and practitioners of healing that recognizes or even prefers the highly sensitive label over considering something like autism or another neurodivergent condition. It's like this is celebrating autistic characteristics and romanticizing them, but when autistic people talk about them or do the same things, they're either infantilized or abused in some way. If you think I don't have personal experience with this, well, I will tell you otherwise. There's a popular spiritual person on Twitter who I've talked about before. I won't name her because fuck that, but from what I saw from people sharing her posts, she talked about her son who's a minor, how he's highly sensitive, and how he taught those things to her about herself, meaning that she learned she is highly sensitive as well, and it wasn't until her son that her spiritual journey and major healing began. Blah blah blah, I don't care about her story, just that she's being weird and predatory and exploitative with all of it. A lot of people use their kids as a proxy for literally anything, and it's terrifying when spirituality is involved and there's obvious danger the kid can be in. There's one instance burning bright in my mind that I shared about a couple years ago on Twitter, where one killed her son when she was in a psychotic episode, saying that she had to sacrifice him and go on a spiritual journey afterwards. I'm not saying that this person's kid is also autistic, but with her recognizing the highly sensitive traits within him, I'm wondering why there wasn't a pursuit of medical recognition of something like autism, other than knowing that that's not a common route for people deep in their spirituality for some reason. To counter the highly sensitive sharing, I'll just say that someone I used to work with, who tried or is still trying to be a practitioner, I don't really know since I have her blocked for being ableist and transphobic toward me. When I shared about struggling from being autistic and how I've been suicidal and the ideation was occurring more, told me that maybe this is the lifetime I'll actually kill myself and said nothing further about it. No surprise that the person telling me this also idolized the person claiming high sensitivity, with empathy being a huge part of being psychic and in tune spiritually and all the other things that are romanticized when they're hard to deal with and learn to hone safely. Also no surprise that there was none of this skill or talent exhibited by the person suggesting to kill myself, who would latch on to anyone else doing anything even remotely successful and in their wheelhouse. So I'm not a fan of the self-proclaimed highly sensitive people, and I think that if there is identification with this label, then an evaluation for autism needs to be sought. I think a lot more can be done if it's accepted that high sensitivity is part of autism, is taught as such, and the appropriate resources are then poured into and allotted to address it. I think because the highly sensitive label is more likely to be claimed by women, that this also speaks to the frequency of misdiagnosis and late diagnosis of autism 
for assigned female at birth people. I hate to say it, but part of being autistic is being more susceptible to manipulation, with a higher likelihood of being abused than neurotypical people. And the highly sensitive people rhetoric being spread so heavily feels like a manipulation of people who could benefit from learning about autism. I wouldn't be surprised that, as more people share their experiences openly with autism, if this actually was a trend. Identifying with highly sensitive people, struggling because of it, but not seeing that accepting highly sensitive as a label doesn't do anything to cope with it, eventually learning about signs of autism, and seeing how they're the same exact thing. I know that this was the case for me. I loved reading about highly sensitive people, indigo children, star seeds, anything that paid attention to the people paying attention, or at least that's how it felt. I didn't know that much of the highly sensitive people stuff coincides with CPTSD and the overlap I personally experienced between that and autism, and accepting that truth provides way more of a grounding element for me than I could have expected. It seems that neither highly sensitive people nor autistic people are able to mask for long, if at all, and that doing this can lead to burnout. Masking is what it sounds like. It's hiding your true emotions, feelings, thoughts, and self in attempts to act and be perceived as normal or neurotypical as part of society. When people are masking, they spend a lot of energy on maintaining the mask. Expending this energy on masking can take away from the ability for other things like participating in conversation or taking care of everyday needs. Even when there's no active masking, a lot of time is spent learning masking behaviors. This could be by observing others, either in real life or in media, which can lead to an error in translation because life in media is never as it is outside of it. All masking is a suppression of the true self. This can be a problem for autistic people for many reasons, but mostly learning that it's not okay to be who we are. By needing to adjust things about the way we are, there's a mix of shame for not being like others, guilt for the inability of changing and blending in completely, and confusion for what we're supposed to be doing and what that all means about who we really are. Masking becomes ingrained for most autistic people, where it occurs so frequently that some people are not recognizable by others when they fully relax the muscles in their face and quote-unquote take off the mask. Literally, you look like two different people, and I have a post on Instagram that I'll share on this episode's post date to illustrate that point. The mask usually makes other people feel better, more at ease around me, while my actual face gets the constant questions of what's wrong or is something bothering you? Like, yeah, actually, my face is because it's tired, because I'm tired, because I don't even realize that I changed my appearance so hard to appease others, when it's not natural for me to contort that way. Not being around other people for most of this pandemic has been great in understanding that about myself, and I only hope other people can get that relief that I do from being able to unmask. That's not to say I never mask or don't expect that to happen in life at all. I still mask when the situation requires it of me, but I do try to avoid those situations or ones that aren't accepting of me. More often than not, I don't have the energy to completely mask to keep myself safe across all types of public situations, and I hate that I even need to consider that I won't have the patience when I'm overstimulated to try and keep my mouth shut when I'm aggravated by something another asshole has no business doing. The last things I need to catch are COVID and a case. I got a little off topic there, but if there's any place I can comfortably share my experience being autistic, it's in the episode covering autism. So masking keeps autistic people safe in society and the greater world at large, and losing the ability to mask or burning out compromises that safety. Burnout is a son of a bitch, and I'll completely tell you why. I mentioned before that I've been recovering from burnout for about five years now, but there's a chance I'll never completely recover, and that's terrifying. I've always tried to work, find work, and develop skills to continue working since I dropped out of school in the middle of October during the fall 2017 semester. It's the end of April 2022 now. 
During this attempt to work and recover, I also found out I'm autistic and trans, got top surgery to help with both of those things, and I'm finally seeing the benefits of not being constantly overstimulated by body parts that were never meant to be on me two days short of a year after having my surgery. I worked on making money, I worked on myself, I worked on my relationships, and I'm happy with those last two things. And the first one can always be better, but that can be said for most people. But I'm also someone who puts a lot of pressure on myself, who always has, because I want to do and be better for myself and others I interact with, as I know I'm not entitled to anyone's permanence in my life, and life itself isn't permanent either. People do experience burnout where they can't do anything but sleep, or indulge in entertainment, or do something that is a vast difference from the daily life that led to that burnout. I definitely have periods of time where it's harder to work. I have no type of consistency with my social media posts, and I don't feel like others are entitled to know every detail concerning that, but it's tricky to figure out how to communicate to the people who do need to know that information. It's a double-edged sword because there are things that need to be done, but there's just the incapability when it comes to completing them, and everything suffers for it. Professional reputation, personal relationships, and any kind of opportunities that can help relieve burnout because of the lack of recovery from it. Burnout can take anywhere from a few weeks to several years to heal from. Again, not everyone recovers from burnout and can end up permanently disabled from it. Burnout can show up as different things, spanning from aggravated physical ailments, contribute to the development or worsening of mental health conditions, and leave one vulnerable to anything else that can kick them while they're down. It's excruciating knowing you once had the ability to do something, to function more fully, and to accept that you may not get back to that point ever again. Autistic people experiencing burnout require patience and support from others, as it's common to feel like a burden for being unable to actively contribute completely to their own lives. Resources are needed to overcome this which might not always be available, and there needs to be better support for all kinds of autistic adults, but especially the ones who are struggling to recover from burnout. People can lose everything when they experience burnout, and there's no kind of safety net in place when autism can require specific accommodations with care. Before I burn out on this episode, let's move on to the figure drawings. Figure 15.1 shows an energetic representation of masking, the toll it takes on the body, what's really being felt, and how playing pretend can twist identity. This shows the outward presentation of an autistic person, the ability to act completely different from who they actually are, and how lonely this feels and limiting it can be, as shown with the internal connection to that curled up person. The person on the inside feels trained up, physically incapable of being their true self because they understand there's repercussions for that. Autistic people often lose relationships, or have trouble making them, fights can start because of misunderstanding communication, others take advantage of autistic people because they're less likely to notice manipulation or gauge risk of situational consequences, or infantilize autistic people and treat them worse by refusing to see them as human. The person on the inside is also holding a lit match, representing the time and energy left before reaching a state of burnout or the event of a meltdown. The mask on the outside is peeling away, with prolonged masking having the ability to make one feel like they're not a real person. This sucks. There's nothing that makes it better other than being able to retreat and take a break from masking. Like I mentioned before, this can lead to burnout, which can take years to recover from. If you're autistic or close to someone who is, please check in with them and don't put the pressure on them when they do need a break. They might not always be able to communicate that need, or others may not be able to recognize or understand that communication, and I know I always appreciate that consideration from others when I'm having trouble and need to step back. 
Figure 15.2 shows how I see the energetic bodies for most autistic people. For the most part, there aren't any changes than what any typical presentation would be, except for some subtle ones. The main difference lies with the lower energetic points appearing to be more engaged with each other, like the root, sacral, and solar plexus were flowing more easily with the centers themselves slightly closer together. The three higher energy points, the crown, brow, and throat, mirror the same effects as the lower three, with the heart acting as an anchor. This makes speaking one's mind easier without it affecting one's stability or identity. Overall, with the higher points, this would make for a very expressive person, but it's up to others to understand that expression too. What they have to say or share might not always be liked or welcomed, or it might be misunderstood completely as something they never intended it to be, but they're more likely to share it unless they learn to keep that as an internal process and don't share it at all instead. The lower centers often work together to allow certainty in one's identity and security. If this is off balance, it usually results in fantastical forms of escapism that can provide a false sense of security because this is just something that's liked because it feels good. Usually I do see it as more harmonious than not. Being grounded in reality and acknowledging things like fact and science and data, letting the confidence in themselves add to that and not skew their interpretation of reality, except for in certain extreme cases, which is what's happening for an autistic person with a name that sounds similar to Echelon Husk. For the most part, these differences are subtle, but enough for practitioners to miss if they're not aware of them. I've said before that a lot of neurotypical advice can't be applied to neurodivergent people, which includes autistics. A lot of the spiritual practices I've come across as a student or to learn about otherwise tend to shame disabilities or attempt to cure them. Autism is something to change, to heal, to train one out of or abuse them into trying to be something different from who they really are. When my energetic body was viewed by a teacher of mine, I was told that they were surprised my higher energetic points were open and active, which means that I'm great with channeling and accessing more spiritual things. Expressing that that kind of fluidity wasn't one that they're used to seeing in students at first. They also said that because of this, I was less likely to be present in more human matters and struggle with communicating or daily functioning like with a normal job. This was before I was diagnosed with autism, but honestly, it was spot on. I had been channeling for or about others for most of my life, not realizing what it was until reflecting on it and understanding more of what my role can be overall in my life. People say I always find the right words or say the right thing they needed, giving confirmation when I had no idea they needed it. I like to say there are whispers from those around me that I won't even hear, but I know because I'm present in my body, allowing my embodiment to lead my intuition and not the other way around. I do believe in what I do, that I channel energies outside of myself, ones that I won't always be able to explain, and can't reason away with the typical cold reading bullshit. Yeah, I like to be comforting to others when I can, and I know that this can be more generalized and still acceptable, but I truly can't explain when things aren't known to me but expressed by me to another in some way. Even though I don't completely understand it, I embrace it, and I'm happy to be available for those experiences and to share them with others. Not that everyone will be like me or work like me, nor do I speak for all autistic people, but I do think that my being autistic helps with my practitioner work in some ways, ones that I might not even fully realize or ever know about. I think it helps with having a lower threshold for bullshit, as calling it out in different spiritual circles is usually what gets me kicked out of them before that's ever communicated to me. People mistake a good heart and willingness to share in autistic people for acting as a know-it-all when nothing would be said at all if there wasn't some level of care. I think that's all for now. 
I know this is longer than other episodes typically are, and I thank you if you listen to the whole thing. For some reason, autistic voices are always overshadowed by people who think they can speak for us, or know us better than we do, or think they can say anything about our lives without living it firsthand. Please only support autism organizations that are autistic-founded and led, donate to autistic individuals directly, and hire them if you like what they do or if you can afford it. I'm one of the many autistic people who, try as they might, cannot hold a normal job, nor would I qualify for any benefits for being autistic even though I'm disabled. I rely on what I make from what I do on my own, like many others do, but I don't have the backup available in finding a job that would hire me when I'm autistic and can't always function. I'd love the help of some sort of advocate, I don't even know where to start with that, even though attempts have been made to find out, and literally anything can change to cause me to fall through the cracks. That's just reality for the autistic adult in the US, and sadly, my life is not unique in that sense of what I just described. I'm still happy to be here and living it, however challenging it may be, knowing this world doesn't support or even like me, and would rather move on without the existence of myself and other autistic people. Again, that's just reality. Thanks for listening, and please join me for the episode on numerology. Why people believe numbers can tell you everything, what angel numbers do, and if math can help bring your desires to fruition. Next time on Manifestations with Mars.